Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Good morning, church. How we doing? Woo! Wow. Calm down, everybody. Uh, we are grateful that you're here with us, whether you're joining us in person or you're joining us online. We are, uh, we're thankful you decided to spend your Sunday morning with us, um, and uh, we hope you're, you're staying warm and celebrating your, your Christmas season. Uh, some of you may notice uh, uh, I've been uh, working on the beard game here a little bit, and I decided that, uh, you know, 2020 has been really disappointing, so I figured I'd just wrap it up in the same vein, just be really disappointed at the end of the year. So I'll be working on my beard game a little bit. You can keep your comments to yourself, at least keep them behind my back if you would. Um, but, uh, but we're continuing on in our series called This Christmas uh, Today, and we're going to be in Luke 1 again. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip open there. We'll get to Luke 1 in just a second if you got your... Uh, your tablets or your phones or whatever, uh, go ahead and go there. Just uh, no playing games on your phones. That's the only rule. Um, but, uh, but I don't know if I, I explained it well enough last week when we started our Christmas season is that we are really taking a look at the different angelic visitation uh, visitations that happen during the birth narrative of Christ. And so last week we talked about uh, Zechariah. Um, and and uh, his angelic visitation that happened with him. This week we're going to be talking about Mary. Next week will be uh, Joseph, and then uh, Christmas Eve we'll be talking about the shepherds, myself and Pastor Jeff. And actually, uh, for any of you who have spent any time uh, at Sugar Pine, uh, Camp Sugar Pine, myself and Jeff and Pastor Kyle, we actually went up to Sugar Pine this last Thursday uh, to record our last piece um, uh, of the Christmas series as far as the message goes and that sort of thing. And so we love partnering, uh, <clears throat> partnering with Sugar Pine. But regardless of all that, uh, we talked about, we've been talking through angelic visitation during that birth, birth narrative. And uh, like I said, last week we talked about Zachariah and how his interaction with the miraculous changed his life and even gave him a son in his old age. So this week we're going to be talking about Mary. Okay, uh, and you can, as, you're, as you're flipping over there, I wanted to just stare, share a personal story uh, from my life, from back when I was in, I was in college. And in college, I was working as a, an intern at a, uh, at a smaller church, and, uh, and so we all know how much interns make, and then compound that by how much we know that uh, uh, churches pay people, and then compound that by it being a smaller church. I wasn't making a killing. Uh, to just give you a, a peek behind uh, the finances there. Um, but I had a friend of mine call me and say, hey, look, I have a, uh, my parents have a timeshare. They're not going to be using the timeshare. It's down in Mexico. And so if you would like to come, everything will be paid for except for your plane ticket. Okay, so if you can scra scrap up the, I think it was 250 bucks or something like that, 250 bucks to grab a plane ticket, uh, you can have a whole week uh, vacation. And so, of course, it was a no-brainer. I was like, done. I'll skip the classes I need to skip. I'll ditch the work I need to ditch. And we are going to, uh, to be on our way. So I was totally in. And, 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 you know, when you go on things like this, they have, uh, like, excursions that you can go on, right? Like it was a resort. So it was like, oh, you can go jet skiing in the ocean. And so we did that. And, um, and, and we had no business as poor college students being at this resort. Like, there was no reason for us to be there. Um, it, like, the pool was, like, massive. It was, like, the size of a football field, and it butted straight up against this, like, private beach that, you know, you walk onto the beach, and you can be out there, and, um, like, we had this balcony that, like, all of it was stupid, and the fact that I got to go for just a plane ticket was insane, but 
we decided not to go on any excursions uh, that were sponsored by the resort because, again, poor college students. So because of that, we decided to find other excursions that were offered in Mexico um, uh, that were cheaper. And so we were like, hey, this one looks cool. Let's go horseback riding. So we decided to go horseback riding. We con- I don't even know how we got the contact information or whatever. So we show up uh, to this horseback riding thing and where we're supposed to meet him. And there's just like this really shady looking van, like terrifying. And like he's holding our names up, right, on like a little piece of paper that he had written our names on. We're like, I guess this is where we're supposed to go. I guess this is the van that we die in, right? Like that's where, that's how it felt. And so we got into the van and um, I thought, this is it, we're toast. Uh, but then we show up and there's these stables there and there's these horses and all that stuff. And everybody gets like this really, really like cool looking horse. And uh, so I'm like, I'm pumped. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to get a horse like 17 hands high. It's like black, probably a stallion. I mean, it probably just barely just broke it, right? It may not even broken. I don't even know if I'm going to use a saddle, guys. Like, that's where I'm at. And then they trot out my horse, whose name I distinctly remember as being Buttercup. Um, and you don't know Buttercup. Don't just laugh at, no, you know Buttercup. Um, Buttercup had at least one hoof in the glue factory. Um, she... She was not looking too hot at all. And so I was like, well, you know, this is my faithful steed. This is what we're going to move forward with. So I hop on a buttercup. And, and the way they do these things is like they have a leader in the front and everybody just kind of follows the leader, right? And so uh, all of my friends are up with the leader and they're having fun and their horses are like, you know, they're trotting and doing all the fun stuff. And then like me and Buttercup, who may be more aptly named uh, Molasses, were really far behind everybody else. And so the good news was is that I knew that we were going to stop like halfway. And so me and Molasses were trotting through and we get to, we get to halfway and we have some really great food. And then you, what you do after that is you kind of trot along this river um, and then, and then uh, for, for quite a while and then you turn and you head back. And so me and Buttercup, we were cruising. We were in the back again after lunch and we go down this river and all of a sudden we make the turn away from the river and Buttercup takes off, man. I'll tell you what, I have never been so terrified of a horse in my, not just a horse, like so terrified in my entire life of this animal who I had, I had written off too far. Um, as soon as we turned, she took off. She passed my friends who think this is the funniest thing in the world because I have no clue what I'm doing. And I am ter- there is probably a look of sheer terror on my face of like, I have zero control of what's happening right now. I go past the dude who's like in front of everybody that we're all supposed to stay behind. He doesn't care. He already has my money. I signed a waiver. This is fine for him. And so we keep, me and Buttercup are cruising. We're going down side streets. I've never been down these streets. There are, I am passing cars. This is not a joke. This actually happened to me. There are kids looking at me. I'm like, something is going terribly, terribly wrong right now. And so I'm doing everything I could think of from movies to TV shows to like, what, what should I not do? Maybe I should do that. Like I'm pulling as tightly as I can on the reins and saying, whoa, probably way too many times. And then we keep going. She's cruising. All of a sudden we make a turn and she just trots slowly up to the stable where she's supposed to be. And we're there. And I, like, beat my friends by, like, 10 minutes. I'm hanging out, me and Buttercup, just trying to figure out, like, what just happened. I'm absolutely terrified. Um, but, uh, but I'm in the middle of this country where I didn't speak the language on a horse that I didn't know how to control in board shorts and flip-flops. Because, obviously, I came prepared for riding a horse on this 
day. I, had, I, th- I thought I was going to be lost forever or the horse was going to keep running until it died. I, like I, I had zero control over this horse. And it got to the stables and it just stopped. The horse seemed to know exactly what it was doing. Its only goal, the horse's only goal legitimately was to get me off of its back as quickly as possible. And I can't even say I blame the horse, right? Any of you dads who have given piggyback rides to your kids for hours and hours and hours know that eventually you're going to say, my back hurts even if it doesn't actually hurt just so you can get the kid off of your back, right? I assume this is the same state of mind that Buttercup was in at this point. But I had no clue what I was going to do in the first place, what I was doing in the first place. And the tighter I tried to grasp her control, the faster she seemed to run. And each of everyone, each and every one of us in life have experienced this in some way, hopefully not with Buttercup. Um, but we try to, in life, try to hold on to those reins as tightly as we can. We try to grasp her control of life as tightly as we can. And even when we have no clue the direction that God may be taking us, we strain and we struggle to do whatever it is that we can to try to control God in our lives in some way. And ultimately, it is futile. It's futile. We want to call the shots and decide how God is going to use us. As a matter of fact, we often use God instead of allowing God to use us. The result tends to be shallow Christian living at that point. It tends to be not an adventure when we set limits on what God can do with us. And so I share all of that because of the fact that Luke records for us the example of Mary who decided to let God use her instead of trying to control him. She was fully open to God and became an instrument in God's hands. And before we understand how, I want to clear up a couple couple pieces of confusion regarding Mary because there tends to be two schools of thought regarding Mary. Okay, The first school of thought is is really an overemphasized Mary. Okay, uh, a lot of segments of faith attempt to kind of over, overemphasize her role in the world and her role in the story. She can get more attention than Jesus oftentimes, which is never, never a good thing. Uh, she can even be called uh, the mother of God, um, which at first glance are like, yeah, she helped birth Jesus. But we have some serious theological implications if we actually think that, mother, that, that Mary is the mother of God. That's not actually true, right? Um, and then beyond that, even worse, she can be called co redeemer which puts her on a level playing field as Jesus and so we don't want to do we don't want to do that either she's none of those things she was a woman who was saved by grace she wasn't virgin born and when she died she died a death just like any other human being she stayed dead okay that's who Mary is so while we should celebrate the fact that she was used by God in a very real way a very incredible way we also should not be worshiping her okay she was a mortal human willing to be used by an immortal God the other school of thought on Mary, so that's the first school of thought, kind of an overemphasized uh, version of Mary. The other one is an underemphasized version, virgin, virgin, virgin Mary. And a lot of people, I think, get into this camp because of the fact that, that they are reacting to an overemphasized version of Mary. They tend to underemphasize her role and leave her out of the gospel story, oftentimes altogether. Uh, they tend to talk too much about about her or tend to not talk too much about her, even flat out kind of ignore her role, which is not healthy either. She has a very massive role in this story and in the life of Jesus overall. I think this is a disservice because the balance we have to strike because Mary, she's a godly one young woman, a teenager without a clue, but ready for God's assigned adventure. 
And I think a lot of us want to serve God. I think a lot of us, like Mary, want to serve God. We want to do the right thing. We want to serve the world through loving him as best as we possibly can. But oftentimes, we don't know how to do that. That's why the question comes up of what, what is God's will for my life? What is it that I'm supposed to do? Right? That comes up a lot. Because we want to serve, but, but often there's a like, hold on. I don't, know, I don't know how I am going to do that or what things I should be doing in order to be able uh, to serve God. So what we end up doing is saying, hey, God, use me. And then we end up sitting on our couch waiting for an angel to come knock on our door, which may or may not happen. We want to be used by the miraculous because we signed up to be a part of something greater than ourselves. We signed up for choosing to follow him every single day if you have placed your faith in Christ. And as we choose to follow him, we're choosing to follow and be a part of something that, something greater than any of us could have ever laid out for our lives. And we want to know our part in it and how he can use us. And Mary allows God to use her in a massive way. So let's read about it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26. We're going to go all the way to 38. We're going to skip a little part. And then we're going to read through what's called Mary's Prayer in verses 46 through 56. Um, so this is going to be a little time, a little bit like story time with Pastor Peter again because it's a big, big chunk of Scripture, but stay with me, okay? So let's start, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God, or Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Okay, let's pause there for just a second. If you joined us last week or you read through the story of Zechariah's visitation with the angel uh, at some point this week, you'll probably recognize some very close similarities to what we just read and Zechariah's encounter with the angel. Okay, Gabriel came to see Zechariah. He came to see Mary. Okay? He talked about the fact that, hey, look, you are going to have a son. Okay? He tells him the name that he is supposed to name him on top of that. He actually says, hey, this son is going to be doing pretty, pretty incredible things. Okay? So these two things mirror each other very, very closely. That's going to be important later on. Okay? So let's keep going. Um, It says this, verse 33, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end, talking about Jesus. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Can we hang our hats on that for just a second in verse 37 where it says, For no word from God will ever fail. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. All right, we're going to skip down to 46 now. Okay, verse 46 says this. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, All generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arms. 
with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their, in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So, Mary was used by God, and she was thankful for it. If we could sum this passage up, Mary was used by God. We talk about angel, Gabriel coming and talking to her, and then her response, she was thankful for it. She was able to say yes to him, and as she did, he used her. He used her in a very real way. So the question for us then is how does he want to use us as his servant? Or how does God use his servants? Maybe say it a little bit more plainly. The first thing we need to recognize is that God uses people only by his grace. God uses people only by his grace. Numerous times in this passage, the angel says that, that Mary is the object of God's favor. Of God's favor. That word refers to kind of his gracious choosing of an instrument. Mary was a sinner just like each and every one of us. She was broken just like every, each and every one of us, but she was saved by grace. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says this. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not for us. Treasure is the word of God. Jars of clay they're referring to are the believers. So we have the word of God in believers to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This isn't about Mary. Hear that. This story is not about Mary. The Bible is not about Mary. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is not what you can get from it, okay? The Bible is about the redemptive story of God and his son and how it relates back to us. This is the good news that we get to be able to encounter So if you ever find yourself in a space thinking that your Christianity, that Christianity is about you, you're in the wrong space. You are theologically incorrect in that. And Christianity is never about us. Christianity is always about God and his son, Jesus Christ. And and so Mary was willing to be used by this. When we testify of God's grace, any of us, when we testify about God or talk about God, we're giving him the glory and letting people see him as the one in control of our lives. So when we, when we talk through, hey, man, I am so blessed. By, like we are pointing back, we are pointing people back to God. Well, why do you live the way that you do? Man, I've just been blessed by God. God has been working in my life. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about God. It is never about us. Being used by God should never be a way for you to gain, like, status points or, or, you know, whatever it may be. Like, oh, he's notching you up in my book, right, or anything like that. It's like a new boyfriend who comes over to the, uh, the daughter's house and dad is there and the boyfriend just talks about how he goes to church every Sunday and all that stuff. That's not the point. It's not about you. It's not about people's perception of you. It's about people's perception of God. Being used by God is simply us being willing to walk with a God who is already moving. Okay? So we need, to, we need to remember that, that God uses people only by his grace. But secondly, we need to remember that God uses people who are available. God uses people who are available. I think this is a hard one for us as Western or American Christians for two reasons. The first reason being is that, that we are a very, very busy nation. And we are a very, very busy people. 
the, our calendars are all full, man. You have to map out months ahead of time to get lunch with people. I mean, and then even then the day before it gets canceled because something else came up that's obviously more important than you, right, or whatever it may be. And so we are very, very busy people. So the availability of us for Jesus, that can be hard, okay, for us being willing to just simply be, be available in that sense. I think, I think the other reason that uh, us being available is difficult is because a lot of us tend to be, maybe we're a little bit more type A or we got our list, we want to get things done, and we recognize that, hey, as long as I am doing these things, if I fill out my checklist about the things I'm supposed to do for Jesus, then I'm done. I've, I've done it. I can kind of set it aside at this point. You know, we even saw that last week when we talked about Zechariah. Okay, Zechariah, he's a priest. He goes in, and he's doing all the things. He's burning his incense. He's, he's doing the things that he's supposed to be doing. He is willing to move for God. But here's the problem. He actually wasn't available to God. He was startled when he, when he encountered uh, an angel for the first time. And he was just like, well, hold on, I'm doing work for God. I don't know if I'm actually encountering God right now. And so I feel like we can fall into that category as well, being like, hey, uh, you know, I am doing things for God. I read my Bible, I prayed, and I even talked to somebody about Jesus today. Solid, good start. Continue to be available, though, because God uses people who are available. Because if indeed you are, you're ready to go, you're saying yes to him on a regular basis, he will use you. He is going to use you. If you are seeking out opportunities and meeting with the appointments, those divine appointments that God has for you, he's going to use you. If you don't know uh, uh, Dave Fox, a member of our congregation, but that's kind of his phrase that he uses is keep God's appointments. So essentially, if you see an opportunity to be able to declare the glory of God, to tell people about Jesus, to talk to people about God, take that opportunity right? Even if you don't get to that point, man, if you see an opportunity of just to encourage someone, man, plant that seed, do whatever it may be, keep those appointments. God uses people who are available. He will use you. There's a guy, a theologian by the name of Howard Hendricks. Um, he says this about being used for God. He says, hey, if we're going to be used for God, we must be fat. That's good news considering it's the holiday season for most of us, right? So we're like, all right, good, fat, done. I got it taken care of. Um, it's not what he actually means. Uh, how to be fat for God. Here you go. Three words, faithful, available, and teachable. That's what he's talking about. If we are going to be used by God, we need to be faithful, we need to be available, and we need to be teachable. And if we look at Mary's example, you see each and every one of these things hit. She was certainly all of these qualities, right? She's faithful in being ready to, to kind of take up that assignment. The Bible points out three times in this passage that she was a virgin, Right? So on the theological side, this is really, really important. It, it testifies the, what we call the impeccability of Jesus' divine nature. Impeccability, really big theological word. You don't need to know it, but if you do want to know it, impeccability talks about, um, the, it, it talks about the sinlessness, the perfection of Jesus. So when you say something is impeccable, right? Most of you have heard that word. Man, that's perfect. That's the same idea. Impeccability of Jesus means the sinlessness of Jesus. So later on in the test, that'll be an extra credit question for all of you. Um, but on the practical side, this actually lets us know that Mary was ready for her particular assignment. She was also available, though, beyond that. When God spoke, she didn't say no. She didn't say, hey, give me more information like our buddy Zachariah did last week. Um, she was simply ready for her assignment and ready to go. And lastly, Mary was indeed teachable, okay? 
You notice how quietly and obediently she kind of talks to the angel here. The angel comes up and he's like, hey, we're going to do all those things. Um, but she obediently listens to Lord mess- Lord's messenger and she's got some questions and rightfully so. She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Now, uh, how am I going to have a baby or anything like that? She asks how it's going to happen, but she does not interject her own opinion anywhere. She's not like, hey, Gabriel, that's a great idea, but you know what? I had some plans of my own. I got this guy, Joseph, I'm going to marry. Can we just kind of let nature take its course and me and him will take care? Like, she did not interject her own plans in any way, shape, or form. She simply lets God have his way. Okay. So the next thing we need to recognize is God uses people is that God uses people in his own power. We can actually see that in verses 35 through 37. It'll be on the screen. It says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. So we have to remember, in verse 37, no word from God will ever fail. This is literally God's words being spoken through the angel Gabriel. So when he tells Mary here, hey, no word of God will ever fail, no word from God will ever fail, he's literally talking about here, and it also has broader implications for our theological understanding of Scripture, right? But we have to recognize here that he's like, hey, look, this word is from God. This isn't going to fail, Okay, and he even provides some context, provides a little bit of evidence here for her, just in case she doesn't believe him. We don't have record of her being like, tell me more, give me more evidence. But the angel Gabriel does provide more evidence for her when he tells her right before this that, hey, look, your, your relative Elizabeth is going to have a child in her old age. So now what can Mary do? Mary can actually go, and she does. We see it at the end of the passage. She goes and stays with Elizabeth for, for three months, probably getting some wisdom from her, probably trying to get encouragement from her, but also recognizing that, hey, we're in kind of the same point in our lives. Hey, Elizabeth, this is what Gabriel told me. What did he tell you? Talking about an angel who, who allowed, God allowed them to conceive. Like, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. And so when Mary asks about this miraculous birth and how it's supposed to occur, like, a natural question, considering her virginity, God's answer is clear. The Holy Spirit's going to accomplish it supernaturally. This is God's power. This has nothing to do with her. This has nothing to do with Joseph. This has nothing to do with Zechariah. This has nothing to do with the shepherds. This has nothing to do with you or I. This has everything to do with God's power working through them. And so when he says, hey, look, The Holy Spirit is going to accomplish it supernaturally. The power of God is going to overcome the laws of nature. This is going to be miraculous. That's what he says. Just be willing, and God is going to walk you through this. And because of this, all of the world is going to testify to God's power. Mary even says that, hey, look, generations from now, people are going to call me blessed. Why? Because of God's power, not because of anything that she did. Then the messenger gives Mary that testimony that happened, what happened in Elizabeth's life. She's, she too has experienced the miraculous by the power of God. And so remember that verse from earlier, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, where it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. This all-surpassing power is from God. It's not from us. And if you're wondering how it is that God is supposed to use you, you're wondering how it is that, 
that like, okay, God, like, I, I don't want it to be more difficult. This life is hard enough. First, or John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Hey, God isn't asking us to do this life alone. God isn't like, hey, boom, here's a rule book. Now that you decided to follow me, good luck hanging out with all of those rules. I'm going to be over here. You can bootstrap it up. You can white knuckle it up, whatever you need to do. Just be better. That's not what God is saying at all. There is no abandonment that happens when you say yes to Jesus. That's why it's not a first-time decision. That's why it's not a one-time decision, rather. That's a decision that we make every single day, a decision that we need to make, like it says in John 15, 5, that we need to stay connected to the vine, that we are the branches, and apart from him, we can do nothing. He actually says the opposite of what most people assume. He does not, like I said, drop a bunch of rules and say, all right, good luck. He says, no, 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 no. If you think that's what Christianity is, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He is not asking you to do this life alone. God is saying, look, be available. Be willing. Be ready. Stay connected. And you can do that. You can do that by being, by, by like remaining in me. This life is too hard to do without a Savior. And the Christian life, if you already have a Savior, is way too hard without remaining connected to your life source. You can't do it. If in this year, in the year 2020, you as a Christian have been trying to hold on to those reins as tightly as you can and trying to control God, you have failed over and over and over and over again. I have failed over and over and over again as I try to do my best to control what it is that God would have for me. As you try to do your best to control God and say, well, this is going to happen or this is going to happen or if we just do this. It's not the case. It's not the case. Because when you said yes to following Christ, you said yes to him using you for his purposes, not for your own. This is not about you, and that's exactly what he does. The next one is God uses people for his own purposes. For his own pur- If you got into Christianity thinking like this was going to be about you, I'm sorry that you were misled by somebody. Because God uses people for his own purposes. God ha- always has his own reasons for using people. And it's kind of it's times like this that I feel, I feel like that if we don't have a good understanding of who God is, it can kind of come off as God being arrogant, right? Like, hey, God's going to use you for his own glory. Like, God is going to use everybody who says yes to him so he gets glorified. I think to myself, man, that's kind of, that's kind of arrogant. And then I think to myself, well, hold on, time out. God is perfect. God is holy. We are not worthy of him in any way, shape, or form. And he recognizes that the best way for us to live our lives, his creation, is for us to glorify him for his glory alone. That's it. That's all of it. And we don't have to understand his purpose. He's never obligated to tell us his plan. And sometimes, man, we, w- we will not figure it out until we're on the other side of eternity. We won't know. You will not know the impact that you have on the majority of people's lives until you're dead. I know it's kind of morose and it's kind of a downer. 
But if you were hoping it was next week, it's probably not going to happen unless your kids want a really great Christmas present for you, from you. Then in that case, they'll probably be like, have I told you how good of a parent you are right now? Sorry, they're all sold out of everything. Um, but he has no obligation to tell us these things, no obligation to tell us his purposes. He thinks differently because he is different. He is perfect. He is holy. He knows everything that is going on. He knows everything that will be going on. 2020 was not a difficult year for God. 2021 will not be a difficult year for God. He knows it all. He is unfazed by anything that is currently happening. Allow yourself to be used for his purpose. So we get a little bit more insight into God's greatest purposes as they are revealed to Mary here. God used Mary to birth Jesus to save other people. Verses 31 to 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Why Mary? Great question. No one knows but God. And that's okay. That is absolutely okay. What we do know is that God selected her for the purpose of being the incubator for the Messiah so that all the world could trust him and be saved. God does things in our lives that we don't understand, but he does them so that others might be saved. The church, the capital C church, is God's plan A for the world. There is no plan B. So as you go through, go through things, as you encounter difficulty, as you encounter hardship, you probably won't understand why it is that that's happening. That's why I feel like one of the most famous lines in any movie when anybody talks to God is why. Because we want to understand, and the reality is we aren't going to oftentimes. We won't get it. But as you look back on that hardship, you now get the opportunity to bless somebody else by the wisdom that you have incurred through that hardship. You get to encourage people because of the fact that you've walked through it. I talk about my dad going through cancer all the time. Why? Because everybody is touched by cancer in some way. And if I can talk about the blessings that came out of my dad dying from cancer, then maybe there is hope that God is going to be glorified in the lives of those people who are still walking through cancer. That's the reality of God's purposes in our life for why we encounter things so God can be glorified. Why do we encounter things? So God will be glorified. But you have to be willing to say yes. Like I said, the church is God's plan A for the world. God's, God cares deeply about the local church. And so we as the local church have to be willing to step into that role. Have to be willing to be used by God. He, God cared so much about the local church. He trusted so much that the local church, this plan A was going to work, that he trusted the greatest news ever to be told to a bunch of fishermen and a former Pharisee. Like that was his plan A. He's like, hey, there were 12 of you, there's 11 now. But don't worry, I got this other guy, Paul, who actually used to kill you guys who believed in me. Yeah, you 12, can you guys take care of this? Does it sound like a very fleshed out plan to me? As a type A person, I'm like, ah, I don't know if that's going to work. Show me your business model. What's your plan for growth? 
but he cares deeply about it. And it's because that transformation that happened in their life was a testimony to the work of Jesus in their life. Man, we read through the scriptures and we know in like the gospels, like when they're talking about, like we know that Peter, the disciple Peter, we know that, that he had a family, right? It talks about his mother-in-law and all that stuff. My guess, like my hunch is, is that Peter probably incurred some difficulty when he told his wife that he was going to bounce and hang out with this new Messiah for three years. Like, I don't know about you, but if I went home and I told my wife, hey, I'm going to, like, I'll be in and out for the next three years, but largely I'm just going to be hanging out with these 12 dudes. I don't know how well that would go over, right? So, but there is a testimony to the hardship there, and maybe not just his family life. Maybe it's when he lacked faith and he started drowning, Right? Or maybe it's when Jesus himself said, get behind me, Satan. Like, I don't, like, that's not on my top list of five things to hear from anybody, much less from Jesus. Right? So I am sure Peter incurred things that like, he had to have some sort of testimony that then he is able to relate to other people. You know how? Because he wrote books of the New Testament. We see what he walked through. We see what he went through. We see that transformation. But here's the thing. It was never about Peter. It was never about Peter and his leadership or lack thereof. It was never about Paul and how brilliant he was. It was never about John and how well he loved different people. It was never about any of those things. All of those guys, God's plan A for the church, God's plan A for the world rather, all they did was say, this is how God used me. Look at him. Don't look at me, look at him. That's what they did over and over and over again. So God used Mary to birth Jesus to save other people. And God used Mary so he would receive the glory. We already read verses 46 through 56. This is known as the Magnificat. This is Mary's song. And we're not going to go back through it right now. But if you have an opportunity, if you're like, you know what, I just want more. Go back and read Mary's song. Pray through Mary's song. Okay, this is her song of praise to God, which we read through already. The first stanza gives all, God all of the glory for saving her and using her. This is all about like, hey, look, like, God, thank you for using me, but it's not about me, it's about you. Thank you. That's the first stanza. The remainder of the song gives glory to God for coming to the rescue of his people. This isn't a thank you for making her awesome. This isn't a thank you for making her deity. This is a song of thanksgiving and a praise to God for what he was doing in her life. And it's incredibly powerful to hear her response to God using her. The church, we in the church, we need to be better at pointing people back to Jesus in a very real way. That it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It isn't our power, it's not our brilliance, it is God using willing servants to carry out his kingdom on earth. And we have to be willing, though, to relinquish that control of our plans and let Buttercup take us back to the stables. We have to be willing to do that. And it's not easy, right, as I told you, because everything in culture tells us you've got to make it happen. If it's going to be, it's up to me. i just got to get in there, i got to be strong, i got to manipulate it, i got to make it happen. But Jesus says something that is diametrically opposed to everything that culture says. Jesus actually says, if you cling to your life, in other words, if you try to be in control, you're actually going to lose it. If you try to white-knuckle those reins and steer a buttercup, you're going to lose your life. 
But if instead, if you give up your life, if you surrender it for me, Jesus says you will find it. In other words, to fully follow Jesus is to completely surrender control. As the Beatles famously said, let it be. The interesting thing is this, surrendering control is not just a one-time decision. It's not like, hey, you know that one time that I made a decision back when things were easy in 2019 before murder hornets? Like, like that's when I surrendered. That's great. That's why at the end of all of our services, yeah, we give an opportunity for people to make a first-time profession of faith, but that C, we have an A, admit, B, believe, C, choose. We say choose to follow you, not today, but every day. We are actively choosing to follow God. We're actively choosing to surrender control to Jesus. It's a daily choice. And when we look at Mary's surrender, what is so interesting is every time she chose to surrender something, she eventually saw evidence of the faithfulness of God. So let me land the plane here, okay? Watch, again and again, think about it, okay? You, you're, Mary's a virgin, right? And she's going to be pregnant. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you for a second. If I'm dating Sarah, and like at some point when we're dating, she comes up to me and she's like, hey, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's the Holy Ghost. I don't know how that's going to land. Like that's, that's real, real, like we got problems, right? And Mary, she's got to tell Joseph this, and she's just like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to let it be. I'm going to let God do this. And so she surrenders. And what does God do? She doesn't know he's going to do it. She doesn't know God is going to do it. We're actually going to talk about it next week. But God then sends Gabriel, the angel, to appear to Joseph in a dream and says, this whole thing is legit. She surrenders to God's will for her life. She surrenders and says, yes, God, you can use me. She sees the faithfulness of God. And you know people around town and they're whispering. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, Mary. I saw her donkey over at that other guy's house the other weekend. It was like 2 in the morning. It was crazy. Like, you know whispers are happening. Gossip isn't new in 2020. We've just, we've just somehow monetized it by putting it all on Facebook. But this isn't new. And so you know people are whispering and she's shamed for this and then what happens the holy spirit confirms it to her relative elizabeth that this is of god there is some sort of comfort there you just think about all these you know like the time that jesus was missing when he was 12 you ever had a kid missing somewhere like those kids are frantic right they're like they freak out i remember i got lost one time at the mall and i say lost i was like 10 feet from my mom i just couldn't see over the clothes racks that were sitting there but Jesus got lost when, you know, he went missing when he, he wasn't lost. He knew where he was. But they're panicking, and they surrender to him. And where do they find Jesus? They find him teaching adults. Oh, yeah, we forgot. He is the son of God. He does things like this. There, there you are, God. You think about when Mary is giving birth. She's nine months pregnant, riding on a donkey, can't find a holiday inn. There's no Motel 6 anywhere. There's no rooms. This is not ideal I'm sure you moms out there probably had a little bit better fleshed out birthing plan than Mary did. This is not ideal, but she trusts God. He provides a stall, a cave next to farm animals. Not ideal. But shepherds show up to worship, which we get to talk about on Christmas Eve. After all of this has gone through, shepherds show up to worship. Oh yeah, God 
is with us. God is with us. Herod the king gets word. Who is this baby? We got to make sure that baby is dead. Think about this. The forces, like, like, like the king and all the forces want to kill your baby every day. Mary, God, I trust you with my child. I trust you with my child. I trust you with my child. The question then is this. Are each of us currently trusting God then with what he has for our lives and living in full surrender of that? Regardless of, uh, of if the circumstances are ideal or not, are you trusting God? Are you willing to be used by him in a very real and tangible way? Are you being faithful to him? Because that, being, being obedient to God and saying yes to God, that's how we see the miraculous, by surrendering control of the mundane this Christmas. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for Mary's story. I thank you for Mary. And God, I thank you that she was just willing to be used by you. And God, I pray that, man, that we would recognize that in, like, today we are not, we don't want to have our, our heads in the sand regarding what's going on in our world that we recognize that there's sickness and we recognize there's disease and that we recognize there's political strife and we recognize that 2020 has definitely not been a banner year, but just because the calendar flips over in a couple weeks doesn't make it any better. We don't want to stick our heads in the sand regarding that stuff, Father, but we do recognize that there is hope that is offered and it's in your Son. It's not in political ideology. It's not in vaccines. God, it's simply in you, period. If there is hope for the world, it is in you, in you alone. And so, God, as we recognize that hope, God, I pray that we would be willing to submit ourselves to you, to fully surrender to you, to let go of those reins of control and say, God, use me. And I will say yes to you every single day that I will keep those appointments that you have for me. That I'll say yes to you, Father. And if there's those maybe who are here or either watching online who, who have not said yes to you and are searching for that hope or pleading for that hope and trying to figure out how is it that I am supposed to continue to live a life like this, that there, I can't, I'm searched everywhere and I can't find hope anywhere if that's you today. I would ask that you would just make a profession of faith with us, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, that in the quietness of your own heart, you would pray along with me and say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that I know I fall short of you. I know that that, that moral life that you want for me, that I can't, I, I'm never going to be able to live up to that, and I fail at it every single day. I admit that, Father but B, I believe that you sent your son to be born of a virgin in less than ideal conditions, ultimately to die. I believe you sent your son to die on a cross and that he would conquer death so that one day I could be in glory with you forever. I believe that, Father.
but C, I also choose to follow him every single day. And this isn't just for those who are just making a profession of faith for the first time in their life. This is for anybody who calls Jesus their Savior, that we would choose to follow him every single day and be willing to let God use us to fully surrender, to let go of those reins. Father, use us. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.